Hello and welcome to Time for Cakes and Ale. Ale, 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 ale. <laughs> cakes, 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 cakes. So that's Feeder song, Buck Rogers. <laughs> oh, Feeder, where are they now? Mm. It's very early for a tangent. Mm. Very early. They're still around. <laughs> On your own. <laughs> They're still around. I love them. I love Feeder. Feeder, I love you. Right. Yes. What episode is it? It's episode eight. Yes. Episode eight. Mm. Um, Did you know I've got a uh, signed feeder guitar? It's <laughs> not <laughs> a tangent. Yeah. I, I just need to find somewhere to put it up on the wall. I've got one of those guitar hook things I just need to put it up. I won it in a competition. It'll be the only entry. <laughs> <laughs> Was it just like three entries? It was you and the two people from Feeder. <laughs> and they realised they couldn't, they couldn't have it. They imagine we're like, no, Frida, you can't have your own guitar. <laughs> right, what are we doing? This is a TV roundup special. Yeah, and uh, I think the reason for that is because we've been watching lots of things. We've had a few things that we watched on Netflix. We've finished watching The Expanse, and we finished watching The OA. Y- you finished watching The OA. Yeah. And then you told me not to watch most of The OA. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And then you watched, or I, I made you watch the last five minutes of The OA. Hmm. <laughs> In order that you could experience what I'd watch as some kind of partial compensation for the time I lost watching the OA. <laughs> yeah, and then we've... Well, they're about to come back soon, but we... Um, at the end of last year, we watched the last few episodes uh, in the run-up to the Invasion crossover of the CWDC shows. Yeah. And then also, because it's the beginning of the year, we thought it'd be kind of cool to talk about some of the shows which are uh, either starting or resuming this year that we're quite looking forward to. Yeah, so some that we've talked about before at length, and I'm sure we'll talk about again, one in particular, but loads of others as well that are coming back at various points in the year. Hopefully a lot of them in the first half of the year. So what should we do first? Shall we talk about The Expanse and OA and all that? Yeah, let's crack on. Mm. So we've just finished watching The Expanse mm. on Netflix. So that was originally on sci- on the Sci-Fi channel and then Netflix are showing it over here. And I think that was series one and it's kind of cool to talk about it now because series two is actually about to start at the beginning of February. So The Expanse is a TV show based on a series of books by James S.A. Corey, which is actually the pen name of two authors, Daniel Abraham and Ty Frank. And it's a very successful series of books, which is still ongoing. I think it's up to six odd books at the moment with a few short novella components interspersed within it. We haven't read any of the books, but the overall plot is that it's essentially like a a big sprawling space opera Mm. that involves a detective played by Thomas Jane, who's investigating um, a missing girl called Julie Mao. There's uh, another story involving the crew of this ice freighter and then there's all these machinations involving the UN on Earth who are dealing with all this interplanetary politics because this is set in the far future when the solar system has been fully colonised and there's a large population obviously on Earth, there's one on Mars and also on the um, 
on the belt of asteroids in between. Yeah, so there's a, a big sort of political backdrop to the whole thing. So essentially there's very frosty diplomatic relations between Earth and Mars, which is now its own planet cut off from everything. And there's the sort of threat of war between them hanging in the background. And then in between all of them, you've got all of these colonies that have cropped up on various moons and uh, asteroids and space stations where you now have whole generations of people who have been born and grown up on these stations so they kind of feel i suppose like they're sort of treated like second-class citizens compared to people who are citizens of mars and earth and there's this kind of paramilitary style organization that's trying to get some kind of liberation for the belters as they call them so there's these huge amount of world building that's gone into the background of this and although it follows multiple strands of what is happening to these individual characters it's played out against this big geopolitical backdrop of what is happening as the human race expands into the solar system and all of these main plot strands although they start off as quite disparate events are clearly all tied together Mm. and over the course of the season it's clear that there's some link between some big conspiracy that's taking place that's trying to trigger a war between earth and mars and it ties together all these different plots and it's not really a spoiler but at the end of the first season it kind of establishes where this series is really going to go Mm. which is going to be bringing some of these characters together to go on new adventures to uncover what the overall conspiracy might be and to I think, play out kind of a very big space opera involving corporations, governments in the future. There's lots of social commentary involving populations and hierarchy, stratification of citizens, all these different things. Mm. And you've got these three main strands, really. So there's this detective from Ceres who is searching for this missing girl who is the daughter of some super wealthy businessman or other and that's a dude played by thomas jane yeah with the humorous well it's is it a side parting if you've just got a side of hair (laughs) it's extreme side parting extreme side parting Uh, and then you've got the captain of this sort of merchant vessel well he wasn't the captain of the main vessel he's from earth and he was a crew member on this vessel that delivers it's an ice freighter Yeah, yeah so it's basically delivering water to a lot of these colonies in space by delivering huge chunks of ice and when stuff happens i don't want to give spoilers but he and some of his crew end up sort of thrown into this situation where they don't know who their enemies are or or who they can trust and they have to sort of find their own way through what's going on and then you've got this woman who works at the un on earth she's some kind of very powerful figure within the un who is involved in some kind of political machinations, but we're not really sure what. That's about it, isn't it? It's the main three. Yeah, yeah. And all these plots basically tie together. And so overall, um, I mean, I you know I knew nothing about these books beforehand. And to be honest, when the show turned up on Netflix, I remember hearing about it when it was on. I think it was on earlier in the year uh, in the US. And I heard people talking about it, saying it was a great show. And... We kind of watched it all in a couple of days. Um, So overall, yeah, I thought it was really good. It reminded me a lot of the new version of Battlestar Galactica that came out sort of in the mid-2000s. 
It was a bit like Babylon 5. There was a bit of DS9-ness to it and its space stationiness. Um, but overall, there was this... It had that... What those shows had as well, that I think this show has adopted and advanced a lot, is it has a really great sense of world building in it. Yeah. It really feels like this is taking place within a populated solar system. It, it gives you a sense that there are people in all these different places who have been born and brought up in different ways and everything from the way that different environments are stylized to the fact that there's some kind of bizarre speech pattern that certain people use in certain um, conversations to imply that like different dialects have sprung up all over the place it's a really diverse cast which i thought was kind of uh, good as well it's it's one of those shows that looks to the future as in saying that you know it's a very different place mm. you know it's it's everyone living together and trying to get by mm. um and it has tremendous production values i think for a tv show i mean maybe this is just a product of what can be done nowadays but it looks fantastic i think the bits where thomas jane's character is wandering around mm. I'm not going to draw like a really heavy comparison, but it did remind me of when you see Deckard walking around in Blade Runner. Because mm. you there's that sense that you're walking around at ground level, you're seeing everything at eye level, but you can look up and all around and you can see, you know, the whole world built up around them. And it really adds to the sense of drawing you into this whole different world, which is familiar because everyone's obviously a human, but also quite alien and that it seems so far in the future. But it doesn't seem silly. It's one of those shows which doesn't have a really shiny, happy future mm. where everything is fantastic and everyone is great. It's one of those slightly grim-looking futures where a small percentage of people have all the wealth and mm. everyone else is just trying to get by in this world. Um, and I think the fact that it doesn't really focus on the upper echelons of, uh, of society... Mm. is really good because it tells you about what everyone else is doing and how they're getting by and it makes for some really interesting storytelling some really good acting in it actually and uh yeah that's what i thought about it it's, it's the kind of story that feels like it's fully populated you feel like you could go from the room that you're in following the, the characters that you're with and go a couple of doors down and you would find real people having something else going on in their life even just the way that the the sets are done the costumes the visual effects it's really impressive but it feels like a fully populated world and when we first started watching it i thought to myself this is like a really big budget netflix thing why haven't they advertised it more and when i found out it was actually the sci-fi channel i was actually quite amazed mm. because if you watch some stuff on the sci-fi channel where it's clearly done on the cheap, um, you know, it's it's very set-bound. But even the bits of this that were quite set-bound, so for example, the the crew who spent a lot of time on the the um, ship, it, it, it doesn't feel like you're on a set. It feels like you're in a ship. Mm. It draws it's you really in. really well yeah. done. Yeah. And and also the, the CGI, it's weird, but we've now got to this point where cgi ships and scenes in space don't look like they're in computer games anymore mm. there was that phase when i remember if you look at even the opening credits of things like babylon 5 and star trek tng and ds9 and things like that the ships do look like their visual effect 
sense. But here it's remarkable how things have advanced. It's not that you haven't seen these things before, but to see them on TV, I think is kind of nice. And they've really made an effort to build this world, put in all the money, I think, into the production values they can. So mm. you can develop uh, a world that you can just get sucked into. Yeah. Um, and I think it bodes well because my understanding is that the series that's just aired is based on the first book. And as there are more books to come, it's kind of interesting to know where this plot is going to go. I'm sure that if you've read the books, you know how it's going to pan out. And I don't know if it's followed the books very closely or not. Mm. I know it's had a lot of input from the people who wrote them in terms of producing the whole thing. So I think it's uh, it's a really... It was a surprising show to watch because I think I wasn't sure if it would be that good. It was just another space opera kind of thing. Yeah. But it turned out to be, um, I think, pretty good. Yeah, th there's a lot to be said for going looking for source material in books. You don't get that many adaptations anymore. Yeah. Um, certainly not the cinema. There's a desire to keep going back to old properties and have these expanded universes yeah. that you don't get so many kind of original things or adaptations of books that maybe people don't know about that much anymore. But one of the things I like about it is if you had set out to just design from scratch a, a sci-fi show like that, uh, with all you know, all their input from networks and TV executives and all that kind of thing, I don't think you would ever design a series like this. Mm. Certainly not with all the multiple plot strands, all the different characters. What you would end up with was you'd probably just have Thomas Jane's character on series solving a different crime of the week uh, with a sidekick, yeah. and then in the background there would be this mystery about this. And uh, the first and last episodes would tie into some overarching plot. Yeah, about the disappeared yeah. girl. Yeah, yeah. And, and that would be it. But because you've got these books which have clearly done a vast amount of world building and are very well thought through, that you end up making a TV show that you wouldn't have developed that way. Yeah. And I think it's a contrast to the way that these books are being handled on TV rather than in film. Mm. Because in film, no matter how many books there are, it would have been a trilogy. <laughs> and the third one would have been split into two. Yeah. You know? But that still would have meant that the, the way that the plot is strung out between films would have been very different. Mm. Like you said, actually, I think the need to fit certain templates would have meant that somebody would have said this is too complicated for people let's strip it down let's put more space battles in and let's have lots of close-ups on thomas jane because that's all we can afford um or to be honest it would have been some other dude yeah it wouldn't be thomas jane that's how bad it is these days <laughs> but i think even he was quite good in it actually the other thing i liked about it was the sense of scale and distance that you get where when people are stuck a long way from a planet or a moon or anywhere that they can land you really feel that they are in the middle of nowhere and there is how on earth are they actually going to get back? You get that sense of isolation. It's yeah. people who are thinking, okay, if I need to get to this location, it's going to take time. And in that time, it's just us hanging out with each other. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's why it's good because there were 10, was it 10 episodes or 12 or something? Something like that. It takes that long to actually get the main characters from at least the Thomas Jane thread and the spaceship thread to actually come together. Mm. It's not like they're brought in very early on and they hang out with each other. So I think it's kind of very well done in terms of how they're stringing the story throughout the pace of a, 
um, 10, 12 episode TV show. Yeah. And there is a minor Twin Peaks reference in it, obviously, because uh, one of the dudes <laughs> uh, who's an old friend of the uh, UN woman mm. was Wyndham Earl. Yeah. What are the chances? <laughs> what are the chances? Those Twin Peaks people get everywhere. Exactly. That's that's it. I'm not going to talk about <laughs> I'm not going to talk about any more about Twin Peaks for at least another 10, 15 minutes. But there was a reference there and I had to make it. If, if I had to level a criticism at it, I would say that there were times when I don't know, I, I maybe felt emotionally detached from what was going on. I'm not entirely sure why, um, but I, although it was really interesting to watch, I enjoyed watching it. I, I, I never felt like I was emotionally invested in the character's survival mm. or um, you know a, a, any individual person. They're all very interesting people, but maybe it's simply that it was so widely focused among so many people that you, you never felt at any point that there was a character who was indispensable mm. to what was going on. I have to agree. I mean, I think it was strange because I think it was very, very watchable. Mm. I, you know, I do wonder if if you've read the books, maybe you get a lot more out of it yeah. in terms of how you engage with it. Um, it does make me actually want to kind of pick up some of these books and see, you know, see what they're about. Yeah, there was that weird thing where, as a TV show, it doesn't really, it doesn't really engage. It's not like a gripping show to watch. It's it's actually quite slow. Hmm. Yeah, and I think it might also come back to it being an adaptation as well, where you would write an entire novel with certain beats in the story certain revelations and cliffhangers and exciting things happening that doesn't necessarily map onto 10 or however many episodes it was 10 one hour chunks of having beats and cliffhangers everything happening in every episode so if you're following the story of the novel uh, you're effectively getting like a, a, a 10 hour drama rather than 10 one hour dramas and you're not it could simply be that it's it's become an unfamiliar way of a story unfolding on TV when so many TV shows are developed to a particular template. Mm. So moving on, mm. uh, the other show that, as we said, I watched, you watched a little bit of, under duress, <laughs> uh, was the OA. So I remember when you'd seen this and you said to me, you need to watch the last 10 minutes of the last episode and tell me what the hell you think is going on in this show. And I was intrigued, so I did watch the last 10 minutes of the last episode. Okay, without going into any more detail, though, were you intrigued enough to go back and watch the previous 10 hours? No. Okay. So <laughs> <laughs> That's time I'm not going to get back. Um, yeah, so the OA just... It literally just appeared on Netflix. No fan. I think, I think it was a trailer about a week before saying the show was going to appear. I don't want to give too much of a plot summary because that will give too many spoilers away. But essentially, it's the story of a young woman who was blind, who has gone missing for seven years, who suddenly returns. She's uh, found and she has her sight back and she has a very unusual story about what has happened to her in the previous seven years that she relates to a group of children and a school teacher in the town where she used to live as she tries to re- uh, reintegrate with her family, her adoptive family. And essentially, it's a, 
the plot device they use is this young woman telling these people in flashback form the story of what's happened. And it's a fantastical story about her initial disappearance, what happened and what her mission is now. Now, I don't want to give away too much more than that. I'll leave it with that kind of strange, slightly vague description. Needless to say, (laughs) I watched it and I'm not really sure if I liked it or not. The best I can say is that it's like very well made. There's a lot of effort that's gone into it, but it's also it's downfall because it's a very over earnest kind of show. It's got this strange, very forced, ethereal quality to it. And to be honest, it reminded me of two things. On the plus side, it reminds me very much, for some reason, of the film Donnie Darko and how it deals with alternate realities and dimensional travel and mystery and how it portrays the emotional impacts that these science fiction concepts actually have on the protagonists. On the downside, it reminds me of late series (laughs) X-Files when they were just going, let's just come up with anything and just hope that because there's some vague science fiction-y like idea behind it, the people will buy it. They've watched enough of these episodes. They'll just, it'll just wash over them. They won't complain. They'll just wait for something else to happen next week and it'll be fine. And there is that element of it. It's just so, it's a bizarre program. And I think... It has some really nice elements to it, some interesting performances in it. There's some interesting ideas in what it's about. And without giving too many spoilers away, yeah, it touches upon the afterlife. It touches upon um, alternate realities. There's an idea that there's an unreliable narrator involved. It has Jason Isaacs in it, (laughs) which is a separate kind of category that you tick off in these kind of programs um it's just very strange and i think it thinks it's a lot better than it actually is but i think it didn't need to be like 13 episodes there's a lot going on and a lot of it is the word i don't want to use is drivel (laughs) but (laughs) but it's just so it just it's just lost in its own concept but it doesn't have anything rewarding for the viewer, I think. It it's does in several hours what the X-Files could have done in 42 minutes. Yeah, it's basically a 42-minute bad X-Files episode strung out over 13 hours. <laughs> um, what I will say is kind of good is that it does play with the format being on Netflix because the episodes range in terms of length and uh, they have a, you know, it's clearly they've been allowed just to make whatever show they want. Um, so some episodes are like an hour long, some are 30 minutes long, and there's lots of stuff going on. But I think that's also the problem with letting people run away with things too much. There's no one there to say, look, this is a bit silly. You can be kind of weird and a bit strange in storytelling. Mm. I think that can be good, but only if there's a reason to do that. It can't just be wacky for the sake of it. And I think some of the some of the plot turns that take place as the series progresses... They start off as a bit weird, and then frankly they become a bit ridiculous. But uh, it's odd. I'm kind of glad I watched it, but I don't think it was very good. <laughs> <laughs> but I can't really pinpoint the reasons why it was particularly good or why it was particularly bad. It's one of the things, watch a couple of episodes and see what you think. And then 
watch the last 10 minutes of the last episode and see if you were really worried about what happened in the intervening 10 hours. <laughs> because the last 10 minutes were nuts. And not very good. <laughs> but there was some crazy dancing in it. <laughs> so we'll leave it there. We'll leave, yeah, we'll leave it there. It's kind of hanging. Yeah. Just like that was. Right. Very quickly, before we move on to all the cool stuff that's coming out later this mm. year, we should do a very quick DCCW roundup. Yes. Which we were meaning to do for a while. Yes. Um, so, yeah, I think the main thing that happened before Christmas, before the mid-season breaks, was this invasion crossover, mm. which was an interesting plot that involved aliens coming to Earth and trying to enslave the human race, as usual. Um, and it was told over, well, kind of three and a half episodes. Yeah. It kind of starts at the end of Supergirl and then ran through a full episode of The Flash, the hundredth episode of Arrow and Legends of Tomorrow. And then some of those shows had an extra episode to kind of provide some extra mid-season cliffhangers. Mm. Um, but yeah, what did you think? Yeah, I thought it was pretty good. I thought it showed the the strengths of each individual show, but also the strengths of having a big universe like this on TV where you can do this kind of crossover. Because it's always exciting when you get a crossover and all the characters together, um, just like it is in a comic book. And, you know, that they didn't really get to do much in Supergirl other than show up at the end and say, hey, Supergirl, come help us. Uh, but the rest of it, I really like Supergirl's, Kara's interaction with Barry. Yeah. Because normally when you've had these crossovers in the past, it's been Flash and Arrow. And you've got Barry and Oliver together. And Oliver is such a downer all the time about everything that it takes some of the positivity off Barry. But when you get Barry and Kara together, because they both basically think it's awesome to be a superhero, you get them riffing off each other instead. Um, and there's only so much negativity that Oliver can bring to the party in those circumstances. <laughs> he is he is a real dullard sometimes <laughs> in these situations. But yeah, no, no, I completely agree. I think it's... It was really nice to have all these characters come together and yet retain, even if they're all intermingling, the identities of all their individual shows. Mm. Um, I think Supergirl brought that kind of fun aspect to it. Flash had the kind of superhero heart to mm. it. Arrow brought the odd downer when necessary, <laughs> just to remind everyone not to have too much fun. <laughs> it's kick out time at nine o'clock. Yeah. You know, don't get too drunk. It's fine. It's all fine. <laughs> And then Legends brought its irreverence to the whole thing. Yeah. Um, I think that's another thing. I think, um, I mean, like one really quick point, I think, is the fact that Legends of Tomorrow has really improved this oh, year overall. Yeah, really surprisingly so much better than last year. Um, I think the cast changes have helped. Uh, I think a lot of the melodrama has gone. You had the, the Hawks with their melodrama and Rip with all his melodrama and bringing the new characters in that they have and with the new setup. Uh, where they're just sort of freewheeling in time and space, sorting out these aberrations. It's much more um, been able to develop its own sense of humour and its own kind of irreverence, so much so that when they turn up to be part of the crossover, even though a lot of those characters are from Flash and Arrow, when they turn up, it's very much like, actually, we're now the heroes of our own show, yeah. and we're coming back and we're playing an equal part to everyone else in what's going on. Yeah. I think the... The idea as well that they're able to bring in multiple villains and things is, mm. is actually kind of cool. Because now they've got this... Yeah. So what is it now? You've got Damien Dark, 
Eobard Thorne yeah. and Malcolm Merlin yeah. <laughs> popping in in different time points throughout history. And it's a really fun show now. Mm. It's less serialised than before, and I think that really improves it. Yeah. And I think even Arrow is a big improvement on season four, actually. Yeah. It's become less stuck in the mud. It's more... It's got more of a plot to it now. Oliver's gone back to being this vigilante who's going around killing people, who admittedly is killing too many people at the moment. <laughs> and it's fun to have some of his new recruits in. But it does feel a bit strange to have new recruits in there because it does feel a bit like the potential slayers in Buffy. Yeah. There's like this new team who's being brought in to replace the old team and it's a bit weird. Yeah, it's because we keep seeing um, sort of Buffy throwbacks in all this. So you've got the the new recruits in Arrow and then in, in Supergirl you've got this bar where all the aliens hang out that feels like Willie's bar where all the demons used to hang out that occasionally turn up there to go and speak to people. It's almost time for the uh, annual rewatch of Buffy. Oh, yeah. It's about that time. <laughs> it's about that time. But we uh, we end up skipping off season seven because it's unwatchable. <laughs> I, I do love Buffy, but season seven was just, it's just not good. It's it was, just not good. Yeah, it wasn't good. It wasn't good. Although the comic books are really good and, we will do, yeah. and we'll do something about that at some point. I think they really yeah, picked up in seasons... Eight to what eleven now? It's up to yeah, yeah, in comic book form, which is really good, and it, it, that was a really cool thing to see how those comics actually uh, rescued season seven, <laughs> yeah, uh, and uh, and carried on the and the continuity quite well. So what we thought we'd do now is go through a list of the things that we're really looking forward to come back this year, and a lot of them are coming back first half of the year. Some of them we don't necessarily know when they're going to be on in the UK, but hopefully sooner rather than later they're coming back in the US and it's not an exhaustive list at all there's so much stuff on television it's absolutely ridiculous <laughs> these days but these are just kind of some of the things that we thought hmm I'll watch that <laughs> <laughs> so uh, straight off the bat Orphan Black final yeah. season yeah so that was really great the last few years It's this is series 5 now isn't it started off on the BBC then it was pushed around time schedules and now it's the last season was on Netflix and I think that it's great that it's ending with this fifth season I think it's been consistently one of the most original sci-fi shows around in the last few years um, it's obviously centred around a fantastic performance by Tatiana Maslany who plays all these different clones they've developed a great mythology about all these weird genetic experiments that are taking place it's got a great cast of supporting characters and I'm looking forward to it because I think it's a show that's remained consistently really good, quite original. And I do hope they've got something good planned for the final season. Yeah. So although I will miss it when it's gone, I'm glad that they're not trying to string it out too much because yeah. it's maintained such a high quality throughout that if they can if they can keep it up through season five and end it really well, it's just going to go down as a classic yeah i think it's 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 so good it's funny it's dramatic the performances are amazing i think it's got a great concept behind it as well which hasn't yeah. you know i think you know just like we were talking about the expanse being based on books and lots of films being reboots etc i think it's really rare these days to have a sci-fi show which is based on original material mm. and i think it's really proven itself to be really good quality stuff and the kind of thing which will be remembered i think in the future as a great sort of five season show yeah so you're a biologist what do you make of the biology of it that's a good point 
Um, <laughs> to the point I am. No, um, no, I think actually the one thing I really like about it is I think it's very rare to see uh, science fiction tackling biology in a very grown-up kind of way. Um, I think there are a few films which do biology quite well, but they are few and far between. A lot of things tend to focus on space stuff and physics and they're all this you know futuristic kind of stuff it's all this mm. you know dystopian worlds and things like that i think the clever thing about this is it's really uh taken some interesting very basic concepts in genetics and asked the question what if which is kind of what you hope original science fiction is doing and i think it's a really really cool story which is it's based enough in some sound concepts to be able to provide some really good jumping off points for some really good storytelling which is what it's done and i think that's probably what makes it so original at the moment mm. it's set now it's not set in the far future it's got people interacting with essentially a genetic experiment gone awry which is running concurrently and it's just gone out of control and i think it's almost like jurassic park if tatiana Maslany was a t-rex <laughs> She was all the different dinosaurs. She was park. all the different dinosaurs. <laughs> and then Dennis Nedry was still there. Uh-uh-uh, <laughs> you didn't say the magic word. <laughs> Maybe that's how it'll end. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. If that is how it ends, uh, it's going to be a shocker. And I would respect that show even more. <laughs> <laughs> and if uh, Samuel Jackson just kind of... Uh, hits a computer and a cigar falls out of his mouth shouting <laughs> damn it Nedry and this hacker crap <laughs> <laughs> or maybe it'll end with Bob Peck going, going around it, shoot her shoot her <laughs> that'd be good that'd be good or if it ends with <laughs> as various alternate endings it could end with um, it'll be like a bit in spaced you know when Pete Serenich is in the car and then all the teenagers are in the back it'll be just like that but with Tatiana Maslany with a big flary neck skin thing just spits black ooze at I don't know, maybe at Dennis Nedry I don't know what he's doing, he's not even in this programme he's not in this programme but if he, but we don't know because we haven't seen it yet for all we know this could be a very accurate representation of what's going to happen in season 5 of Orphan Black and then Jeff Goldblum would show up and then just pour water over his palms and watch it go in different directions but anyway getting off track again yeah what else is what else is on the roster archer archer season eight yes that's gonna be awesome yeah so is it gonna be another sort of slightly crazy theme season i think so so they released a couple of teasers for it and they mentioned this a little bit when they were wrapping up season seven they are going to do apparently a very serialized season eight which is set in i think sort of some detective noirish 1930s Raymond Chandler-esque kind of world so for those of you who don't watch Archer uh, what's wrong with you uh, <laughs> it's it's a brilliant cartoon wonderful voices wonderful animation wonderful plot lines and it's a show which I think gets so much better with each yeah. series yeah it is very 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 rude. I should mention that right now. Although it is a cartoon. It's so funny though. It is. Uh, but I, I think it's hilarious. Um, I think of all the seasons I've had so far, my favourite probably is the Archer Vice season. So I'm quite excited that they're doing another slightly concept season like that. But it's 
it's remarkable that it, it, it just keeps getting better as it goes along. Mm. Um, and it's not that the early seasons aren't good. The early seasons are good, but it, it hits its rhythm and some of the characters really come into their own mm. as the season goes on. Um, you know, you, you go back and you, you see what like Pam and Cheryl were like in the early episodes and they hadn't really figured out what to do with those characters yet. But they just end up brilliant by the end. It's a very good ensemble comedy, isn't it? Yeah. They all have something to do. And yeah. it's all kind of... Um... Actually, what was the... I was thinking, the one... What was that show we saw where the dude who voices Cyril Figgis was in something else? Which is exactly... Oh, where he plays exactly man. the same character. Yeah. We were... It was the other day. Hold on. I'm going to look it up. Continue talking about Archer while I look it up. I just remembered it could actually end with uh, Bob Peck uh, turning up, lining up all the clones, and then saying, they should all be destroyed. <laughs> and they could all end. He was the dad in Rick and Morty. Ah, that yeah, was that's that the one. one. And on the topic of Archer, mm-hmm. also, uh, um, I did watch uh, all of Pacific Heat, oh. which is that bad Australian knockoff of Archer. Similar kind of animation, mm. similar kind of plots. Terrible. Do not watch. <laughs> it was just terrible. I think I vaguely remember watching the first episode. It was terrible. Uh, and I didn't watch any more. <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> there you go, yes. <laughs> Right. Better Call Saul. Yeah, season three. Back. Season three of that. Yeah. I like it a little bit more than Breaking Bad now. Yeah, so do I, actually. It's funny. It's tragic. Mm. There's something very... I mean, it, it really is very dark comedy. But the performances are fantastic. It's very tightly plotted. And for those of you who like Breaking Bad, I think this is the season where Gus is going to appear as well. Mm. Um, and I think it's just... I think it's a really good example of a spin-off show working really well. Fantastic performances, great plots, solid 10-episode seasons, always worthwhile. Yeah. I think part of what it is is that although Breaking Bad was really, really good, I found it incredibly difficult to root for Walter White in any Mm. way. He was a really compelling character, but... I never felt that I was on his side or particularly wanted him to succeed. But I desperately want Jimmy McGill to succeed. Yeah. If you've watched Breaking Bad, you already know what is in this character's future. Yeah. So it adds an extra layer of sort of dramatic irony into the situation that we, the audience, know where he's heading when at the point in the story that they're telling in Better Call Saul... He doesn't know where he's yeah. heading. Which is what, five it's five years, isn't it, between yeah. the beginning of Pedicle Saul and the start of Breaking Bad. Yeah, so everyone still uses really old mobile phones and things like that. They're pretending that it's quite a long time ago now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah and Mike McKean is very good as his brother. Yeah, he's yeah. He's cheeky, cheeky bastard. He's like, <laughs> it's like if you think that... I think he's the character which makes you really root for Jimmy McGill. yeah. Uh, you know, you this guy is. It's like two brothers who are whose one-upmanship it's escalated to a point which is it's so 
grim, actually, the extent they will go to to take on each other. And yet I think it's very it's very sad to watch Jimmy's, um, especially in the first couple of scenes, he's looking after his brother quite a lot. And to see him always come out losing on this deal mm. is painful to watch. So he's a he's a character that you root for, even though you know he's not, you know, he's not the straightest person around. But he's the best of a very corrupt bunch of people. Mm. I suppose it is kind of positive, like you say, because you know that he is going to ultimately be alive in a few years' time. <laughs> and although under different circumstances, he'll still have some success with him. Yeah. yeah. Well, shall we, shall we address the, uh, the thing that's happening in May? Has 15 minutes passed? It probably has. Yeah. yeah. So they've announced that Twin Peaks is back officially on May 21st. Mm. All the other dates for other shows are vague. I have no idea. But, but May 21st is ingrained in my mind. So it's returning with a two-hour season opener. And then it's going to be followed by, I think, another week where episodes three and four are going to be available. And then 14 more hour-long episodes after. It's bringing the total to 18 episodes. And again, there's nothing known about it yet. There's some really cool teasers which have come out showing Lynch eating a donut. You know, Cooper walking towards the camera in a black room or something. Um, the one thing that, that has been revealed is that David Lynch has stated that the only, well, the only hint he'll give is that the plot is going to be very much served if you followed the last seven days of Laura Palmer's life, which implies that the tone of the show might take on a greater element of what featured in the film Fire Walk With Me than the TV show proper. Now, mm. Fire Walk With Me was a slightly different animal to the TV show. It had all the strangeness, but it went in those into very, very dark territory that you only see in a pure David Lynch movie. And I think we'll talk about this again and again and again. <laughs> but um, I think it bodes well for a TV show that, again, I'm really hoping will be something that meets expectations, but does sort of redefine um, what you can do in... Uh, long form episodic television again just as it did 26 years ago <laughs> that's all i'm going to say about twin peaks <laughs> inside the monologue is, is still continuing uh, and then something that we hope is going to come back on netflix it's coming back on the cw uh, later in the year and hopefully netflix will put it up along with season one and two which is season three of i zombie yeah which will be back in april apparently mm. yeah so yeah i zombie we love yeah, I I've genuinely lost count of the number of times we have now watched some of those episodes of Vice yeah. Zombie. <laughs> it's 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 really good. It's really funny. It's uh, I I don't know why I was slightly unsure about it before I watched it. I don't know if because of the concept, um, because I don't really like zombie things, but it's it's just incredibly sharp, very clever, very funny. It's got a great cast. Um, very, very clever writing. And it, it somehow manages to take the concept of a person who has a unique skill and solves a crime of the week, and which should be a way of doing shows that is now completely worn out. But it, it completely does it in a way that makes you forget that that's what you're watching. Yeah. There's so many other storylines going on in the background. And they're not storylines that get left to the first and last episode of the season. They're, they're always there. You follow 
other characters you follow the good guys the bad guys off on their own adventures having their own fun um there's there's just so much in this world that they have created and yet they still manage to pack all of that and a crime of the week into like 40 minutes it's really impressive yeah and we'll do like a proper episode about this i think in the future but it's a fantastic show if you haven't watched it it's on netflix seasons one and two watch it it's wonderful yeah made by the same people who made veronica mars yeah so if you haven't watched veronica mars go and watch that as well or else So that's it for episode eight. Next time, I think we're going to talk about a couple of comics and graphic novels that we've finally got around to reading. We've been meaning to read for a while. Yeah, um, I think kind of, I think a lot of the stuff we read tends to be a bit later than the single issues because we tend to wait for things to get collected in trades. And there are a few things that we've been reading where we were like, ah, I've been meaning to get around to that. And we finally have. Mm. And some of them are quite good. Yeah. So uh, yeah, that's it for episode eight next time episode nine (laughs) (laughs) goodbye goodbye